Rallycross Conversations, chatting all things dogs and running. Join me, Michelle. Me, Louise, as we chat to guests and experts about dogs and running, sometimes whilst we are out running. Welcome to this episode of Canicross Conversations. Now, this week we have Sophie Sparrow on, who is a veterinary nurse and an animal physio, and she is also Pickles Physio. So <laughs> I can ask her lots of questions still about, phys- uh, about p- Pickle. God, I can't even speak this morning. So welcome, Sophie. Thank you. Nice to be here. Brilliant. Would you want to tell everyone a little bit about you? Um, so I'm a registered veterinary nurse. Um, I've been qualified as a veterinary nurse for 12 years. I've worked mostly with zoo species, um, so slightly different to the usual pathway, um, but also with small animals as well in a general veterinary practice. Um, and recently I've done my TCAP um, physiotherapy diploma so that I'm now a small animal physiotherapist as well. And what made you go into I mean, because you've got a lot on your plate. I know this, <laughs> <laughs> knowing you. <laughs> what made you go into the animal physio side of it? That's what I thought I wanted to do when I was doing my nursing qualification um, and actually kind of got sidetracked for about 12 years um, with zoo species and absolutely fell in love with that. Um, And with COVID and slightly more time, um, I managed to do an additional qualification and have now kind of branched into the animal physio world as well. Um, Sorry, I've got to ask this. So you say zoo species, what's the most... Tell us. I'm intrigued by this. I know we're talking about dogs and we will, I promise, but I'm just intrigued by this. Um, so everything from spiders through to elephants. Um, really? Everything that is sick, um, that needs veterinary um, care, we tend to get involved with. Um, and then also there's the other side of it. So there is the animal training, which is really, really interesting. And again, the same principles as dog training, but with slightly more dangerous animals um, and also with physio you can do physio with zoo animals too um, just in a slightly different way um, and as you'll know from me teaching pickle physio exercises I'm not a physio that likes to manipulate the dogs to get the exercises done I very much want the dogs to do the work um, therefore we train the dog to do what we want them to do um, yeah, yeah that, that's how it works with zoo animals because you can't lift legs up and put them on platforms when they're zoo species so do you do things with lions and tigers and things like that, or is it? Um, yeah, um, it kind of varies at the minute, physio-wise, penguins, um, oh. a Komodo dragon, um, goats. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry, penguins are my absolute favourite. I don't know. About <laughs> you just sort of a penguin. <laughs> <laughs> Did a penguin. Oh, I don't know. About it. Anyway. <laughs> Excellent. So um, let's talk Canny Cross. So you do canny cross as well, don't you? I've introduced you to that lovely sport. I wouldn't say I do a lot of it, but I have dabbled in canny cross and I do very much enjoy it, just lacking the time to get out as much as I would like to. Yeah, and we do love it when Buzz comes out with us. So, um, yeah, he needs to come more. (laughs) Um, So I suppose to start off with, what are the potential injuries a canny cross dog can pick up? Um, so the same with any sporting dog, there's probably a variety. Um, thinking about Canicross, most of what the dogs are doing, unlike um, high-speed greyhound racing or agility or fly ball, the dogs are, tend to be going in straight lines. Um, what they do have is a human that they are having some impact and towing behind them. Um, so I think the injuries are a lot less, and I had a quick look at some figures. Um, there's been quite a lot of studies that have actually happened during lockdown. Um, For the last few years, there's been a lot of online studies looking at dog injuries. Um, The most common things that canny cross dogs seem to get um, looking at these studies are front um, foot pad injuries. Um, Why front limbs? 
they carry more weight on the front end. So they've got 60% of the body weight on the front end. And also the front limbs actually are responsible for kind of the different ground and the undulations. So um, maintaining that balance. So your forelimbs will be taking more of the impact. Um, it's most commonly lacerations or abrasions. Um, again, it probably depends on the breed, that how fast they're pulling, what they're doing. Um, but yeah, the additional risk factors that were highlighted, um, for some reason, were where there were multiple dogs and especially Labradors. And I don't know whether that was because the study was biased and had more Labradors. <laughs> Well, we kind of know that might happen as well, don't we? <laughs> so it's a double dog, a d pulling two dog, uh, not pulling, uh, two dog racing and stuff like that. Is that is that because there's two dogs and they interfere with each other or is it because there's more? The study didn't really specify. I think if the dogs are well trained and they know what they're doing and can work together, I think it works really well. It's if you haven't got dogs that can work together and kind of pull against each other is probably where your issues occur. And also when we're, I mean, I know when we've done some of our social runs, I know my dog gets over enthusiastic um, when there's other dogs in the vicinity. So again, I think they have more drive forward. And if there is an uneven ground or something to catch a foot on, that's when they're going to do it. Um, the injury rate though was actually really quite low, less than 22%. Um, and if you compare that to like fly ball dogs, um, and agility dogs that's over 30 percent oh really um and then even just your average kind of working gun dog um 25 percent so actually mm -hmm. canny cross seems to come out quite low is that because it's a relatively new sport if you compare it to the other things that have been going on much much longer but it's interesting because fly ball isn't it i, I because I saw that um, for the first time actually down at Goodworth was it's quite interesting there's a lot of impact for the dog because it, yeah. it literally hits the board doesn't it in yeah. turns yeah and the same with agility because you've got those tight turns as well yeah. um, whereas canicross is very much forward driven motion yeah there's a lot more control isn't there I think yes. yeah yeah and what I did find interesting was that actually human canicross runners are far more likely to get injured oh really <laughs> <laughs> Nearly 50% of people that took part in the study had reported an injury. Oh, yeah. You know, you know that why that is? It's because we overstride when we, we yeah. tend to overstride when we're canny crossing. So mm. unless we're strong, here I go off down my little path. <laughs> unless we're strong enough, strong core, stable pelvis. Um, yeah. Uh, from my get... point as well, the humans can communicate, your dogs can't. The dogs may have those really subtle injuries, we just can't see them. Yeah, that leads us nicely on to the next question, doesn't it? Um, so what, how do we know, because a dog can't talk to us, obviously, how do we know if they are carrying a subtle injury? What, what sort of things might we look out for? Um, so for me, anything that changes their gait, so changes their stride pattern, um, it could be any, it could be your walking, your trotting or your gallop. Um, so you're looking at where the limbs are placed, where the feet hit the ground, um, how are the limbs swung forward? Are they all lifted at the same height? Um, do the limbs come out to the side before they go forward? Um, oh. Is there a change in pace? Do they normally run faster than they are? Do they normally do better than they're currently doing? Um, and then look at how they're standing. Um, so when they're stationary, what's their body posture like? Where are their feet in relation to their head? Um, are they twisted slightly to a side? Is one foot resting slightly out to the side? Um, tail where does the tail go <laughs> um, when they are running 
most of the dogs carry their tail with some sway and it should be even to both sides. If their sway is always to one side, then again, we're looking for a compensation issue there or a potential injury. Um, and postural transitions. So can your dog get from a sit to a stand without issue? Can your dog stand down to a lie without any issue? Or are there is there some sort of tentative area? Are they thinking about it before they do it? And I was just laughing there because, um, because <laughs> my, poor, yeah, my poor dog couldn't actually sit down. After. Oh, I, had been, I had been canny trekking and it was um, it was along the Southwest Coast Path. And uh, I, interestingly, and, and, and that's why it's been really good to work with Sophie, because interestingly, she I think she'd probably been carrying an injury, hadn't she? Or a, a tender tenderness, and which I was only aware of putting her harness on, but she didn't show when she was canny crossing. Um, but when she got to the point where she couldn't sit down after a long walk, um, yeah, there was other issues. So, <laughs> and it's really interesting because it does make you. I was out this morning, Candy Crossing. It does make you look at your dog um, and and see. And and I think just start looking at your dog because you're behind them, so it's a good place to look at them from, isn't it? Yeah. Do you do you? Um, because uh, if, a, if a dog goes off to one side and runs at when it normally runs in, in forward is that an issue happening do you think or they're favoring you know one I side more? if they're switching side to side probably not if they're constantly favoring one side then I think you probably need to work out why they're doing that is there a behavioral reason for it or is there a compensation issue and is it all the time and then can you correct it um so this is a good example of my dog um yeah. he always runs to the left hand side um he did have an issue with a right hind um limb weakness um we did x-rays um, we've had veterinary exams we've done pain relief um and actually we suspect a low-grade chronic um mm. iliosoas strain back in 2020 um so we've managed that with physiotherapy and done lots of conditioning work with him and actually there's no muscle imbalance anymore but he does still occasionally have a tendency to pull to the left-hand side. Um, the thing for me as well, I've only ever trained him to walk on the left-hand side of me um, to heal. And he walks to heal with his head twisted round to look at me. And that, again, will result in muscle imbalances because he does that quite consistently. So I've started trying to train him to walk on my right-hand side, which is impossible because I end up just tripping over him at the minute. <laughs> um so, yeah, if there is an element of weakness there or an injury, then, yes, we need to look at that and probably think about why and can we correct it. Um, if not, the only thing I would say is looking at the torque on the body. So the way the body will twist. So it will have an impact on the harness and the line um, because they're out to the side of you, particularly if they're a really strong puller. Um, and it will twist the dog. And I'm sure it will twist the human as well. <laughs> um, yeah. It depends what sort of harness you've got yeah. on as well yeah um but yeah i don't think you will be as in synchronization to run there won't be as much power and drive forward so you will be slower when you're running for yeah. sure and there's obviously a higher risk of injury there as well and i know we don't want to get into harnesses but i think it will depend that at the, at the right harness will have that effect which is what we found with pickle wasn't it the longer yeah. harness was better for her because it she didn't twist as much and didn't pull yeah. so much from from the front but yeah so that's what it worked out so yeah it could be a huge combination of things couldn't it yeah definitely yeah it's, it's interesting you saying about buzz pulling on the left because that's what poppy was doing when we first started canny crossing and interestingly it turned out that shortly after that we discovered she had elbow dysplasia in her right elbow so she still 
prefers the left, but I think that's more learned behaviour now. So she does now she's all kind of fixed and and everything's fine. But yeah, it's it's interesting and it it is a telltale sign, isn't it? Definitely. If it's a consistent single sided um, angle, then yes. If they just weave, then probably not. <laughs> yeah. So whether we've got something wrong with our dogs or not we should be i mean again i'll go off on one we should be strengthening ourselves so it's you know our dogs are doing kind of a lot more in because they've got our weight pulling them as well um what should what should we basically you know as a sort of routine thing be doing with our dogs to keep them fit and and strong and healthy um a combination of things so warm up and cool down essential um you wouldn't slash shouldn't go out running yourself without doing warm up and cool down. Um, so neither should your dogs, even if that's just a really brisk walk to start with. Um, thinking about one of my bugbears is nail length. Um, keeping your dog's nails to the right length, because if they're too long, it changes the way it changes your dog's posture. It changes the weight bearing through the feet, which then changes the weight bearing in general. Um, and you're more likely to have compensation issues or injuries. Um, most dogs, it's not difficult to trim their nails. I appreciate some are very, very difficult to do. Um, but yeah, ensure dogs' nails are the right length. Yeah. And um, how often should you do those? They all grow at different lengths, so it's very much dog dependent. Um, yeah. If you're when the dog stands, if the nails are touching the ground, um, they're probably a bit too long. Yeah. On, on a hard surface, not on a squidgy surface. I need to go and check. Yeah, I'm going to check Puppy as well. <laughs> you have a little nail clipper. They're all slightly different, but that's yeah. kind of a general kind of rule to look out for. Um, and for me, on your normal walks, this is something that I don't think many people have time to do. Um, walk very, very, very slowly. Mm. So get your dog on its lead, um, whether it's in harness or just on a normal lead. But walk as slow as you physically can. It should hurt you. Um, picking one foot up at a time and walking that slow engages so many more muscles. Um, so it's really good strengthening for your dog. It's something that if they ever did get an injury, it's one of the first things that your physio will tell you to do um, or your vet will tell you to do. So it's good that they can learn how to do that. We don't want a dog that will take three paces, stop and wait for you to catch up and then take three paces, stop and wait for you to catch up. <laughs> um, you want a dog that lifts one foot at a time individually, um, strengthens each leg individually, um, yeah, and is a real slow walk. So that's something I think everybody can do, even if it's only five minutes at the end of your normal routine, um, just to help with some strengthening. Um, the other things I kind of think of are massage at home. So as part of your routine, do you know what a kind of tight or tense muscle feels like? Um, can you identify them and can you do some massage? Um, veterinary nurses or animal physios can teach owners how to do massage. There are probably a lot of videos online, um, but until you've kind of been shown and understand pressures, you can't really learn from a video online. Um, but yeah, that's things that owners should and can be doing at home. And then the final bit that I think is probably going to be one of the key things for sporting dogs is canine conditioning. Yeah. So this is not dogs that are kind of being rehabbed from an injury. This is something that is more for general dogs, pet dogs, um, dogs that you take for long walks at the weekend, but also your sporting dogs. Um, so it uses specific exercises which advance with difficulty and intensity um, to improve your muscle mass, strength, general fitness and coordination and balance. 
So general all-round stuff for a dog, which as humans, if you were training for something, you would be doing that. And what what sort of, I mean, I know it's hard to describe on a podcast, but what sort of things, because I, I've got some stuff to step oh. step on a, um, I can't even think, I, I want to say a squashy cushion, but, but things like that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, so you don't necessarily need the unstable surfaces. That's probably a higher level. Um, but even just elevating front end or back end of the dog um, a, a couple of inches or to kind of to hock height and getting them to do some stretches, um, getting them to hold um, body postures, getting them to change from a sit to a down, but with the correct posture. Um, so we don't want roached or arched backs. Um, we want head at neutral height. Um, we want limbs tucked underneath knees bent at appropriate angles and facing forward um we don't like the sloppy sits where knees are out to the side <laughs> um yeah so it's things like that it, it's body awareness and strengthening core as well um so that you can kind of bring together a fitter dog um which hopefully will be reducing injury risk so there's uh, lots of- i forgot about i'm admitting this but i i know when i do the walks i i warm her up so i do a lot of sit stands um with her and just yeah general but i forget that when i'm about to race and i need to do that don't i yeah <laughs> ideally yeah <laughs> <Bless her. laughs> would, would you be calm enough to do that for you before a race that's the question if i'm near the van yeah yeah if you've not you kind would. of got into yeah. it a bit yeah now, and usually at these places, there's lots of empty, empty space, open space, so you can go off and do things. Um, but yeah, I think that's really important, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's something that's not often thought about, but it it brings another element to it. It's like the cross training for humans. You're not just doing your constant running. I think there was that really good example of the bodybuilders um, and weightlifters that when they had to do a yoga or Pilates class, they literally couldn't do anything because they had no flexibility. Yeah. It was all muscle bulk. Yeah. Um, so I think it will be the same for dogs. Like, why don't we do that in in the off season? What are we doing with them? Um, and then in between races, what conditioning are we doing to get them to their peak level of fitness? And again, it's going to differ from your household pet. Um, my dog, for example, we're not keen racers at the moment, um, but we do it for fun. <laughs> Uh, we're not going to win anything so <laughs> no we're not winning anything but we love doing it <laughs> um you know so we we had uh emily on um re- recently from canine trail time and she was talking to us about uh hydrotherapy yep. and is that is that the sort of that i know you can change the speed of the treadmill but that's the same sort of thing especially and you got the little bit of resistance i was thinking about the walking slow walking that i assume that's doing the same sort of thing yeah, it will still have that um, conditioning on the body and strength and endurance training. Um, the advantages of the treadmill, if you do have injuries, you can adjust water height to help yeah. with resistance and compensation issues. Um, and again, you can argue the pros and cons of a treadmill versus a pool. Um, but a hydrotherapy pool is not the same as a swim in the river. Um, so yeah. it just needs to be in a controlled environment because otherwise you can cause more injuries. Yeah, no, she she definitely said that as well, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. she did. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, know that's fascinating. Well, I've learned something today about walking very slowly. That's really <laughs> that's something I would never have thought of. It's so simple though, and it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. It's like when we get taught to do press-ups really slowly and work harder at them. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. <laughs> 
so, so should, we, should we talk a little bit about do you want to talk a little bit about longer distance running now yeah kind of how we should be building up dogs I mean some breeds are obviously bred to be more endurance runners um, I'm not sure my dog will ever be an endurance dog um, she's a sprinter through and through but um, what should we be thinking about then if we are building up the distance and just to keep them injury free so I'll probably think about this more in terms of canine performance so I'll spin this question a little bit um, so there's kind of four things that I would be initially thinking um, what is the dog's experience and what is their mental endurance if they don't have the ability to focus mm. for the length of time you want to run they're never going to achieve it yeah whether they have got the fitness or not um what level of fitness so we're now talking cardiovascular fitness and um, there's been loads of studies again looking at um huskies versus pet dogs was the two categories yeah. and looking at the um vo2 max so that's how much oxygen the body can absorb during exercise and you need to absorb that oxygen to get your energy and the numbers were really shocking so the husky's 240 mil per kilo per minute so if we just look at the 240 versus a pet dog of 30. wow <laughs> wow um so you obviously can build your cardiovascular fitness um, but I don't think you could ever compete with the level of some of the dogs that are naturally bred to do these things. The genetics and the predisposition of breeds to do some jobs you can't compete with with other breeds. Um, but yes, you can get your dog fitter. <laughs> that that is actually fascinating, isn't it? Because I'm thinking of all the the um, uh, Graysters and the Eurohounds that so they're bred for maybe not distance, but they're bred for speed. Yeah. So I've, got no I've got no hope <laughs> <laughs> um velocity is the number another point so some species we've kind of touched on have those physiological adaptations for running um and that's linked to your type of muscle fiber yeah. same as humans so your fast twitch muscle fibers produce force more quickly but not for long lengths of time um so your slow twitch produce much more force but they fatigue much quicker so you're if you again you can compare your greyhounds and your huskies they will have completely different fiber types um and in canicross you have such a variety of lengths of race <laughs> um you oh, do yeah. probably still have your sprinters and your endurance runners within that um so you probably need to think about the breed that you're running with and where do cross breeds fit in with this <laughs> who knows <laughs> Makes it really complicated, actually, yeah. doesn't it? Um, so it, the whole muscle fibre thing is subject to a lot of research um, because in theory you can change muscle fibres from one type to the other in humans. Um, but in dogs, there's contradicting information and there's also now thought that actually the muscle fibres in the legs and the limbs are completely different to that in the trunk of the body. Um, so I think this is something that needs a lot more research so that oh. there is actually kind of a definitive answer specific to dogs for endurance training um obviously it's achievable it's done the huskies do it um, we do have endurance runners with the hounds but how we train them to that level actually we're probably just taking ideas from the human world yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely and, and i suppose as well as you say the species of dogs so like we were just before we came on we we got a podcast coming out with um uh duncan spotty dogs 
the spotty dog, a Dalmatian. So he was a carriage dog. Well, his breed is, isn't it? So used to probably running long distances, but not at a fast speed. So that's that he's probably predisposed to run longer distances. Yeah. I'm intrigued about gun dogs then because they stop and start a lot, don't they? Really? When she goes, she goes. She yeah. and, and I don't know if she's just odd, but she can go for a long time just running at a speed. Yeah. I think probably a lot of it is to do with the size of the dog as well. Yeah. Um, because of your power and propulsion you need from the hind limbs. If you're thinking about greyhounds, they have a lot of elastic energy with those long legs. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas stockier, more muscly breeds won't have as much elastic kind of power and propulsion forwards, but will have more strength and endurance. Um, and then you can break that down even more looking at the swing of limbs and the gait that they use. And the gait they use probably depends on how fast the human can run that is attached to them. <laughs> um, will they get enough power depending on what gait they're using? And will they tire quicker if they are trying to gallop but have that resistance on the, the line because the human cannot keep up with them? So will they tire quicker as well that way? So I think there will be an element of the dog learning which gate to sit in. Um, so they need yeah. to probably be in a trot to maintain those long distances um, and not exhaust themselves too quickly. It, I, I don't know how you fight. If we go out, so racing at the weekend and we're just doing 5K. I mean, she does do longer than that, but it does slow down. And, and that's quite interesting. I'm going to be thinking about this when I'm out running now. <laughs> but what we find in a 5K is that she tends to, well, it might be I tend to, <laughs> slow down a little bit in the middle we go off really fast slow down a bit in the middle and then we build up again yeah, um, yeah. so whether that's because it's me and and if I improve my fitness it'll be interesting to see if she sustains it for longer yeah be interesting yeah it's really, really interesting mm. it's about the teamwork so yeah I think it's not just how the dog can do it it's how the human can cope with the race or distance as well yeah yeah no it is absolutely fascinating actually so so if we want to to run our dogs long distances what we need to do as well as taking it slowly and building it up and seeing as you say if they can do it um is to keep the conditioning that there's the sort of canine conditioning going um, yeah the definitely an element of cross training you need your cardiovascular endurance your muscle strength um probably work with a canine conditioning coach so that you know you're doing those exercises appropriately yeah Um, but for me i think the key thing is knowing and understanding the limitations of your dog um so there are obviously some breeds that just are never going to be suitable your brachiocephalic breeds yeah Um, and i'm sure nutrition that that will have a huge part to play yeah well beyond my scope of expertise (laughs) it's an area we haven't gone into yet isn't it michelle yeah that's right yeah so much to learn still isn't there (laughs) there's loads loads to learn um so with the um, conditioning, how often, you know, assuming our dog isn't injured and we just want to strengthen, how often should we do that in a week, do you think? Is it the same as like a human's or? Probably three to five times a week, but for as little as 15 minutes. Oh, wow. um, it okay. very much depends on what kind of level of conditioning you're at and what exercises you're doing. Um, there's things that you can bring into your kind of daily routine with 
um, when you're out on a walk, just changing something up slightly. Um, but there will be things that you need to kind of allow specific time for to do set exercises as well. Yeah, pickle doing the plank. Yeah, that's a really good example. She hasn't done for a while. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get a dog to do the plank then? I've never tried that. With difficulty. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> so we found with pickle, um, we need two little raised platforms. Um, mm-hmm. And with lots of food reward, um, we lure her onto the platforms. Uh, we're trying to teach her that she just needs to step up. And she will, I think eventually she got the idea that she needed to stand on the platforms. Um, two front feet on the one and two back feet on the other. Um, and the distance between them is slightly more than a normal stance. So you are kind of stretching. Um, and then you can lure the dog forward with a food reward or a toy, whatever motivates them, um, so that they stretch forward. And that's kind of into a plank position. And then you can rock them backwards as well. So it's working on core strength and weight shifting. Yeah, she. I mean, she did do it a couple of times, didn't she? Carrots. We had a lot of carrots. <laughs> Poppy likes carrots. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently I was giving two bigger pieces and Sophie was just cutting them even smaller. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, that that's amazing. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that, you know, obviously you're the expert here and um, we've just sort of gone about sort of the things that we've I suppose experienced but is there any other areas we should be thinking about and one of the things that I started looking at was actually your surface that you run on yeah I am because I had assumed um wrongly so that training on a different variety of surfaces would make the dog more adaptable to those kind of biomechanical challenges um because you trained on different substrates when they actually then run their body would cope better. But there's been studies that have actually disproved that in agility dogs. There's nothing been done in canny cross dogs because there just isn't the research yet. Um, but they found that there were certain substrates that had a high risk of injury. But actually, even if you had an agility dog that trained on sand, rubber matting, um, bark chip, um, like AstroTurf and grass, that they didn't do better when it came to competition, even though they trained on all sorts of different surfaces. Which I thought was really interesting. So for me, looking then at surfaces, I was thinking you need the real good traction. So you've got that forward propulsion mm-hmm. um, and you want to avoid those slips and that twist because that's where you get the highest risk of quite severe musculoskeletal injury. That's not your kind of cut pads. That's your torn cruciate ligaments. That, um, yeah, then is a lot of rehab. Um, and then I start thinking about boots, <laughs> which I think you've touched oh, on. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you might have touched on it in another podcast. Yeah, we did. Um, but yeah, my final project for my um, physiotherapy qualification looked at bandaging dog's feet. Um, this came as kind of an exercise technique. If you want a dog to weight bear on a limb, um, you bandage the opposite limb um, or put a hair bobble around it or just put something annoying on That's the good limb so that they will weight bear on the limb that they're not using. They obviously need to not be in pain um it is just a technique to encourage them to weight shift onto a limb that they are behaviorally adapted to not using um but yeah i've actually found that when you bandage with the foot or even if you just pop a little bit of bandage slightly higher on the limb i only use bandaging because it was easy than trying to get the same tension for different um leg types of different dogs mm-hmm. so i use bandaging for a little bit of consistency um, but actually they weight shift off the leg that's bandaged 
but also the same limb on the same side. So if I bandage the front right, they'd weight shift off the back right as well. So they'd completely weight shift to the other half of their body, which I thought was really interesting. (laughs) Um, Because then when you put boots on, there is a compensation issue there, as in they need to get used to it and adapt to it because all four legs are going to feel funny. Yeah. So you probably get a completely different gait. Um, and it will impact how they engage muscles as well. A lot of people use them, don't they? Yeah. And and because I, you are, again in the in some of the Facebook groups, Canny Cross Facebook groups, you know, people get worried because it's getting a bit cold, a bit icy. Is that something we should be? I know sort of slippage and stuff like that. I understand that, but um, I've been running in the snow with Pickle before now, and I haven't. I haven't. I mean, she's she's a dog. <laughs> Am I being a bit too crude or? I think if it's for a purpose, so I think sled dogs that are running a lot of miles will get ice buildup in their feet. So they probably do need protection. Yeah. Um, And they are at serious cold temperatures, not temperatures that we're used to. Um, And then your fire and rescue search dogs, obviously they're walking on hot surfaces. They again need that protection. Um, But whether you need them for some of the canny cross, particularly in this country, I would question. Um, I would be more concerned that it would change the dog's gait. If you don't habituate them to using them and build it up, they won't be running normally. And then you're more at risk of injury. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's because like if you get an injury or something that's going slightly wrong, you adapt, don't you? And then you get the problem. So, yeah, it makes sense. It's the same for dogs, doesn't it? Dogs are so good at that. They have four legs to adapt um, rather than us with our two where you can notice it more in a human dogs hide it so so well yeah they do they definitely do um no that's quite so we need to be spending a lot more time looking at our dogs <laughs> when we're out running if it's something that we're doing well any whether it's just for social or um racing it's yeah. we need them to be um happy and healthy don't we yeah definitely and i think take advantage of slow motion videos on your phones <laughs> Because it's hard to see how quick dog's legs are moving. And if one limb is not quite doing the normal thing or the right thing, but if you slow-mo a video, um, it shows you everything really nicely. Yeah, I was going to ask that, actually. We should we should look at videos of our dogs running, shouldn't we? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, got, I've just got my pictures from the weekend. So even though they're still pictures, it's quite nice to see, you know, how, how she's sort of moving in those photos. Mm, interesting. Uh, one other question I was going to ask you um because we say as canny cross instructors not to run too much on road yeah and 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 the reason being is that obviously the impact is going to be a bit harder is that something you would agree with and say um or does it matter i think if you're doing long miles yes it it's got no give um any real solid surface with no give um it's repetitive wear on joint tissue um it's not going to happen overnight if you need to run on a road to get to the next field it's not going to cause issues but yeah repetitive running on really hard surfaces i wouldn't recommend for any dog no matter what you're doing um but also because you've got that higher abrasion on the pads as well yeah and the dog's pads will harden as they get older anyway um but i always find that once you've got a soft area on a pad buzz cut his foot on glass four weeks ago now um he's going to have that little soft spot for months and months and months until it all hardens again so again that just puts him at a higher risk for another injury 
probably on nothing significant, just a little stone, but it does put him at a higher risk. Excellent. Uh, Michelle, have you got anything else? Um, no, that's been absolutely fascinating. Thanks, Sophie. I've, I've, I've got two pages of notes here. <laughs> no, I saw you scribbling away. I'm thinking, what are you writing down? <laughs> I'm making lots of notes myself as well. <laughs> it's not just our listeners learn from our podcast. No, it's, that's very true. Yeah. Sophie, thank you so much for your time. Um, no, we really, you really appreciate it. And if anyone's got any questions, do let us know and we'll, uh, any specific ones and we can, I can hassle Sophie <laughs> and try and get some answers. But no, that's been brilliant. Thank you so, so much. No, thank you. Oh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Canny Cross Conversations. Thanks again to Sophie. Um, we'll put details for how you can find Sophie in the show notes. And if you've got any questions, do let us know. Um, don't forget to share with your friends if you've enjoyed this episode. Leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss a future one. See you soon. Bye.